Hey, if you have your Bibles here this morning, turn with me, if you will, to Colossians chapter 1. We're moving through Colossians here this year. And we're going to start with the 24th verse, Colossians 21. I'm sorry, Colossians 1, verse 24. And uh, I've entitled the message today, Seeing the Church from God's Perspective. I know that opens up all kinds of thoughts, but as you find your way to Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, stand with me this morning, if you will, out of reverence, respect to the reading of God's holy word. <coughs> Excuse me. Verse 24, I now rejoice in my sufferings for what you, for you, and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to us saints. To them God willed to make known what are his riches to the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is, and this is God's mystery, that he held back from us all through the Old Testament, but it came to point right now, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the mystery of God. Verse 28, Him we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present ourselves in every way perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Let's pray. Father, may you bless the reading of your holy word. Father, I pray for each one of us right now that we could remove the distractions from our minds, Father, the busyness of our world, Father, and we could focus on you. That we would see your word very clearly today, Father, and every one of us leave here changed yet again for eternity. Father, I thank you right now for this day. Father, I pray you forgive me of my sins, Father. I want to stay out of your way this morning, Father, that people would hear from you and not from me. Father, we thank you now for all these things in the precious power of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Can you imagine for just a moment that Jesus Christ walked in and he's sitting on the pew a couple seats down from you this morning? Can you imagine for just a moment what he might be thinking as he walks into the sanctuary today? He'd probably marvel at what precious people are here, but I believe he'd probably have a question on his mind that's, where is everybody? Where is everybody this morning? Did this all that come to this beautiful building here in Beaverdam, Virginia? You know, you might be pondering what else Jesus Christ thinks about the church. You know, isn't it just like God that he's already given us his opinions? And if you know the Bible and if you've read Revelation before, especially the first three chapters, Jesus Christ describes the church. It's amazing the, 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 the pointedness he gets, the, his critique, but also his sincerity, transparency, and honesty about the church. And what we read in those first three chapters about the church, the seven different churches he points out, Basically, are the seven basic churches you see today. There are combinations thereof of those churches. And I want you to hear these churches for just a moment. He talks about the church in Ephesus to start with. And they had lost their first love. Remember that? Paul was a, Paul was a preacher there for two years. Then he put Timothy there. So they had great pastors. And Timothy taught all kinds of things about how to appropriate the riches of Christ. He taught them about how to walk in such a way, how to realize that Jesus Christ truly is the Lord and Savior. They had great sound doctrine. And yet, for some reason, somehow they'd lost their first love. It was a church that was loveless. The next church he talks about in the book of Revelation there is the church of Smyrna. He says they're the persecuted church. He goes on and talks about the church of Pergamos. He says they're the compromising church. Then he talks about the church of Tatira. He says they're the corrupt church. The church at Sardis he calls the dead church. The church of Philadelphia, this is a good one, he calls them the faithful church. had the most nice things to say about the faithful church of Philadelphia. They weren't perfect, we know that. But he had great things to say about that precious, precious church. 
And then he finally comes. He holds the best for last, absolutely, the worst for last. The church of Laodicea. <coughs> Excuse me. It's the only church of these seven churches that Jesus Christ has nothing good to say about. Nothing. But then he also says this. He says it's a church that's lukewarm. Lukewarm. He says they're not a ten. They're not a zero. They're on the mushy three, four, five. It's lukewarm. Jesus says, listen, either give me all your hate or give me all your heart. Just don't love me in a mediocre way. Jesus Christ is saying, I don't like that. Jesus Christ's comments were very, very shocking. In fact, he says this specifically in chapter 3 of Revelation, verse 15. He says, I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. I could wish that you'd be cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. That's how disgusted Jesus Christ with a mediocre church. Well, the question for you and I, what would that mediocre church look like today? The same way it did back then. I'm here to tell you. As you understand churches, you've maybe been to some different ones, you see that a lot of these characteristics permeate the church fabric across America today. They're dead or they're corrupt or they're missing the mark as far as teaching proper gospel. Maybe there are, in fact, I'd say this, there are a lot of lukewarm churches. But specifically, let's think about a lukewarm church for just a second. Before I go there, though, I'll tell you some of the characteristics here. Maybe you've heard this before, but 85% of the churches in America today are either plateaued or dying. They're going backwards. They're plateaued. Per my comment at the offset, I'm sure this doesn't make Jesus Christ excited. But what, what, what are we missing the mark? Why is a church, only 15% of churches in America today, growing? And I think you know this. We're not part of that 15% at the moment. We have been in the past. We're not there right now. Not that we're not adding great new members here, but we have a backdoor problem. We'll talk about that in a few moments. People come into church for a while, they get all excited, but then all of a sudden they don't stop, they stop coming. And unfortunately, and I think that's fine if they stop coming here as long as they immediately jump into another church where they're being serving faithfully and some of them get moved away and transferred and they find a church for their new home. But why is it that the church is declining and plateauing today? Let's talk about that lukewarm church for just a second, some of the characteristics. A lukewarm church is only half committed to Christ. A lukewarm church is only half committed to sharing the gospel. heard this a few weeks ago from a pastor. I was talking about it, and he heard it from another pastor. But he said, you know, the two biggest reasons that people don't go to church, you know what they are? You know the two biggest reasons that people don't go to church? They don't know a Christian. That's reason number one. They just don't know a Christian. They haven't been invited or they don't realize that there's a benefit to going to church. They don't know a Christian. The second big reason people don't go to church, that they do know a Christian. That hurts, doesn't it? Step on my toes, if you will, please. Hurts a little bit. They don't go to church because, you know, if that person's a Christian, they go to church. I already have, I do a better job running my life than that person does, and they call themselves a Christian. What, what benefit is there? Both those questions and both those thoughts conjure a huge question in yours in my life. Am I a stepping stone or am I a stumbling block to people getting engaged with Jesus Christ? Am I a stepping stone or am I a stumbling block to helping people get closer to Jesus Christ? A lukewarm church is only half committed to teaching the Word of God. There's too many churches out there that don't even open up the Bible. I've had my kids come home and they've gone to college and toured around and come on, yeah, we went to church there, but Pastor didn't have a Bible up there with them. If we're not looking at God's Word, what are we actually doing in church? If we're not desiring to walk in God's Word, what are we doing in church? We're not desiring to draw closer to Jesus Christ. What are we doing in church? A lukewarm church is only half committed to reaching the world. 
A lukewarm church is only half committed to self-denial and surrender. A lukewarm church is only half committed to supporting the church. The church today has a phenomenal volunteer problem. Our church is not on like that. We struggle getting people to volunteer to help. Have a lot of great volunteers, a lot of people helping. But we still have all kinds of holes in the program there. We're not living at the level that we should be living with volunteers. I heard this the other day and it was sad that they're closing down, and this may be news to you if you live in Rockville, but they're closing the Rockville fire station. You know why? They don't have enough volunteer firemen. They got a couple of paid employees there, so they're going to keep an ambulance there to respond that way, but they're going to have to call from other fire stations to get fireworks. And if you need a fire engine, come that way. We're living in a world that, for whatever reason, volunteerism doesn't seem to be at the top of our priority. How sad, though, in the Christian church, being a volunteer and giving ourselves away is not part of our priority. A lukewarm church is only half committed to Bible study and prayer. The church truly today has some issues. But I don't feel bad about that because the church has always had issues, okay? There was issues in the very beginning. You read half of Paul's writings are about church issues. There are things that were going wrong in the church, especially the church at Corinth. He actually wrote three letters. Two of them are in your Bible, but he actually a, wrote, wrote a third letter, and it was blistering about what they're doing wrong in the church in Corinth. Saying some of these things, and I don't want you to feel bad because your pastor right now is more enthusiastic, more optimistic about this church than I've ever been. I've always been optimistic about this church because of the people that come here. You. Because of what I see God doing in your life. Because I realize that God has a very specific purpose. I want you to think about this. The two biggest questions I have, two biggest comments I get from people who come to this church. Number one is, where's all the people coming from? They see this thing out in the middle, middle of nowhere and all these cars out front. Then they also say this. When I walked onto that property, when I pulled in the parking lot, when I walked in the building, I could just feel the Spirit of God. So God has done a lot of great things here, but you know there's so much more He wants to do with us, so much more He desires for us to be about. I am totally excited about this church. I'm so excited about what God would use us. God changed the world with 12 disciples. Imagine what He could do with about 400 active Christians at Beaverdam, Virginia. I believe He wants to change the world and confound the world because where did this change come from? Some place called Beaverdam. Where the heck is Beaverdam? Oh, it's this little church out in the middle of nowhere. But God lit a fire there, and they got excited about Christ. How does God light the fire in this church? He lights the fire on each one of us individually, beginning with your pastor. Your pastor has to get his life totally, as best I can, right with God. Then we've got to get our lives right with God. We need to understand, why am I here? Why did God save me? Why did God have this incredible life for me? Why? That we might bring greater glory to Him. That's the whole purpose. Why did God institute marriage? Because two people can bring more glory to God than one. He had a perfect plan for the family. But that was the biggest part of him, that he could have a relationship with man and woman and they together could glorify him. But we're missing that mark in America as well. I'm not optimistic about the future. Don't miss this thought. I'm not optimistic about the future because the promises that were made at Independence Hall in 1776 in Philadelphia. I'm excited about the future of the church because the promise was made at Caesarea Philippi. By Jesus Christ himself. He said, I will build my church in the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That was a promise from Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, listen very carefully, is a promise keeper. Nobody wants to build this church greater than Jesus Christ. I want to build this church like Jesus Christ. I want to have that kind of enthusiasm and excitement. But I can do that because I have the promises of Jesus Christ. And he will build his church. What's standing in the way of that happening? Me and you. Am I really serious about church? 
I have these discussions all the times with people, all the times with pastors, about what life's all about. What are we supposed to be doing? What are we here? Why is my life like this? What is my life supposed to be like? We're going to get into a couple of these things here in a few moments, but I want you to realize this, that God has an incredible plan for your life. God has double vision for you. He sees you where you are today, but He sees how you can be. God gave you your potential. Who's going to ignite that potential inside you? God. How does it happen? When I begin looking for God's transforming power in my life that I might see Him change me. I've seen His transforming power in my life. I've seen Him in many of your lives. I've seen God come down and change you. But He wants to continue that change. He wants to change you to a point where you come to understand, listen very carefully, your potential, but also when, that, when His power hits your potential, it leads for you to understand your purpose. What is my purpose for the cause of Christ? It all comes about when I allow God's power. I look for God's power. I want His transforming power to come in here and zap my potential, that I might understand that potential and live my potential. I don't want to live below my potential. I don't want to get to the end of my life and realize, man, I left so much on the field out there. I wish I had really gotten serious and played the game the way God meant me to play it. I really wish that God had touched my life earlier. I can't tell you how many people I've led to the Lord later in life. And they've told me, I wish I had known this earlier. Man, I, I wish I would found this out later. I have so many regrets right now. God does not want us to live with regrets. God wants us to live today. But God is saying, hey, I've got potential for you. Where does potential come from? It comes from God. God has potential for each and every one of us. Am I truly living that potential? There's four callings, I believe, that we saw in the scripture we read just a few moments ago. Calling number one, verse 24. So that now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Calling number one is that we're to serve Jesus Christ sacrificially. We're to serve Jesus Christ sacrificially. You know, unfortunately, we settle for too little in our life, in our spiritual life. We might not know it because our life's going pretty well. We have a great little great little home. We've got a great little family, and God seems to be blessing our family. But I'm here to tell you, and those are all great gifts from God. But God has so much more. So we've settled really for being content at a certain level. God does never want, wants us to never be content spiritually. We need to be, always be hungry and thirsty for God's righteousness. It tells us in the Bible, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. I want you to ponder this thought. We've had several of these precious little babies in our church over the years. They've been born, and they're so excited about within about a week or two, they realize the baby's not eating right. There's something wrong here. Something wrong with the digestive tract. They had one little baby that was born with two, two stomachs. The doctors at MCV told the mother that this happens one in a million. That's how rare that is. Little baby, they didn't know if the baby was going to die, but they realized that something had to be done because the baby was not hungry, was not eating, wasn't able to eat. All those babies that we've had, praise be to God, glory to Him, have all been healed. That little baby had a surgery and the one stomach was removed, and the baby's doing great today. In fact, it's about this tall now, the baby. Joseph's his name. But listen to this Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they should be filled. When we're not hungry and thirsty for His righteousness, you know what? We're not well. We're not where we need to be with God. We're not healthy. God so desperately wants to be part of our life, and he wants us to thirst after him like a deer panting for water, it tells us in the Psalms. He wants us to be hungry and thirsty. He wants us to have him above all, be desperate for him every day. You know when we're desperate? When we truly need him. Kind of like a spare tire. We pull him out of the back of the trunk and put, put a new tire on. God wants us to be desperate every moment of the day for him. 
Not that we have great emergency or great burden, but I'm just desperate, God. I don't want to move forward in this day without you, God. I'm absolutely convinced that God is calling each and every one of us out. Personally, he's knocking on the door of your heart. He's calling you. He's calling your name. He just wants to know, wants you to know that, listen, the current normal that you're operating in the church is no longer the normal we need to be operating in. He's saying, I want more. I have more for you. I want you to be sold out to me. And it's tough. And I'll tell you this right now personally, that I believe Satan is kind of, there's nothing new coming from Satan after all these years, all the way back to the Garden of Eden. But he kind of put a little, little different spin on some of the stuff that he does by deceiving us. He deceives us in such a way as we need to be busy. I like to be busy, going places and doing all these things. And it's fun and I love it. Kids have activities and all these things. We can get so busy in our life, so caught up in living life that we miss God, the giver of life. God is calling us out and saying the normal you're operating in right now is not working. I want you to hear these thoughts. I believe God wants every one of us to come to realize our God-given identity. That's number one. God wants us to come to understand our God-given identity. There's too many people that don't know that. Too many people sitting in churches don't know their identity. My identity didn't come from my job. My identity didn't come from who I am. My, my identity didn't come from what I own, the house or the boat or these things. A lot of people find identity in things in this world. We're never, ever going to find significance Never going to find sufficiency or security in the world. It's not going to happen. The only place we're ever going to find significance for my life and reason for being here is God. We'll go through our whole life trying to find that significance. Why am I here? What am I doing? I get up every morning, go to the job, and come back home. Listen, if I'm not going to my job to serve the King of Kings, then I'm going to the job for the wrong reason. I'm thankful for you have to have these jobs. We all have a job. We need them. But God has so much more for them. But we're not going to come to understand our job until we realize our identity. Who am I? You know, too many of us walk into this life defeated, too, because we have a problem with our identity. I've been hurt. I've been brutalized. And I'm not minimizing that one bit. There's a lot of mean things happening to people in this world. Amy and I are helping a couple of people right now that are struggling right now with abuse that happened when they are kids. Sexual abuse and uh, physical abuse and mental abuse and verbal abuse. You know, these individuals, there's four of them right now. They're between the ages of 45 and 55. Their whole life they've carried this around. They've been traumatized because of horrendous abuse that was perpetuated on them by somebody who should have loved them instead of hurt them. You know how most abuse happens? It happens by people that are in your scope of influence. It should have never happened there. But they were messed up by their parents. I'm not sure why they do it. There's all kinds of reasons, but it happened. But God does not intend you and I to carry that all the way through our life as who we are. I was hurt. And I'm here, I'm here, I've heard the stories. I mean, they're incredibly hurt. It breaks my heart what happens to people by loved ones or relatives or family. But God says, don't let that be your identity. Let me be your identity. Because why? Because you're a child of the king. I want you to walk in this world and realize that you're royalty. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's saying you're my own special people. That should make you realize that I have a very special identity because I belong to God. It's easier said than done. Do you know how do I get to know that? By getting in His Word, understanding who I am based on God's Holy Word. Getting to know His character. Getting to know God through His Holy Word. Then I might be able to walk in this world and stand when you stand. We need to serve God and Jesus Christ sacrificially. In, in understanding my purpose so I can stand, so I can serve, I want you to know that your purpose was given to you before you were formed in your mother's womb. You know that. You've heard it before. Jeremiah 1.5 says this. God was talking to Jeremiah. He says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. 
He said, I've ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. God was telling Jeremiah, he's calling Jeremiah, anointing him and ordaining him to go be a prophet to Israel. And he was telling him, listen, Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a little skeptical, as anybody would be, and asked by God to do something. But Jeremiah was asking him, I can't do it. He said, listen, I set you apart before you're born. I knew about this calling on your life before you were even formed. He said, I did this before you were even here. Listen very carefully. God has set you apart as well. God has a mission for you, a purpose for your life. Before you're born, he determined that. He also determined before you were born that you'd be saved one day. And he knew exactly how it happened. He knows everything. He realized that I'm going to put you in a place where you can come to know Jesus Christ, my son, and then I've got a great mission for you. I've got a great purpose for you. I'm going to take you, I hate to tell you this, but you're going to be kind of an ordinary person, Gary, when you're a young adult, but I'm going to do something super ordinary with your life. It's the same with you. God wants to do something super, super ordinary with us, but we need to, first of all, identify who we are. Do I belong to God or do I belong to the world? The second thing I want you to hear this morning, I want you to realize that we need to embrace our destiny. We truly need to embrace our destiny. Once we realize who we are, we realize that God has his plan. Our eyes haven't seen, our ears haven't heard, nor our mind conceived the plans that God has for it. I know the plans I have for your life, declares the Lord in uh, Jeremiah. God has this incredible plan for you and I. We need to embrace that. God, I'm looking for your plan for life. God, what is your plan? You know, many of us have raised children or are raising children right now. God, I want to understand your plan for me as I pour my life into my kids, that they might become followers of you, but they also do well all the days of their life. I'm praying for my kids that they might walk with you. I'm praying for my kids that they might very well. This, for a lot of years, just really kind of was a major desperate prayer for me. I began praying for my kids when they were born that they'd marry the right person one day because I heard a pastor preach that. But I begged God, God, please give my kids the right mate. I've seen so many marriages that are just hellacious, so many marriages that are just trauma after trauma and brutalization after brutalization. So I was begging God that he would give my Children, the right mate. You know, praise be to God that my first child is married, and she married well. God's person. In fact, you've heard me say it before. Uh, my new son-in-law is the man of my dreams. He really is. Let me take a little rabbit trail for a second. And... Uh, I had the opportunity to teach for years. I taught in the Marine Corps. I had to teach subject to the basic school where they teach officers. I got to teach in a couple posts in the fleet Marine Force to young Marines before they go into combat. And so I had the opportunity to teach for a lot of years. And then the restaurant business, that's all you do in restaurant business, teach constantly because it's turnover and teaching service how to serve and cooks how to cook and all those things. I had a couple of thoughts that I used to have in my mind and share with them. One of my thoughts was if the learner hasn't learned, the trainer hasn't taught the teacher hasn't taught. And so the essence of that was I encouraged my manager, but also myself, that I want to make sure I teach this in such a way as they get it, and I, I review it with them. I let them regurgitate it back to me and all those different things to make sure they get it because I want to make sure they learn their job, understand it. Because I realized in both situations, the Marine Corps is kind of life and death, and the restaurant business is not quite that serious. It's profit, not profit. But... Um, Individuals typically won't do their job for one of two reasons. Either because they don't understand how to do it, they haven't been taught, or they don't really realize what the mission is, or they just don't have a grasp on that. And that's, that's huge. And then we need to go back to the drawing board and reteach it to them. The other reason, though, sometimes that people don't do what they're supposed to do is because of attitude. 
I saw this more in the restaurant business than I ever did in the Marine Corps. But they had an attitude. I, I know I'm not supposed to do that, but I'm not going to. They just made up their mind. Used to have individuals in the restaurant business come in out of uniform. I said, well, yeah, we issued the uniform to you. This is one of the basics in life. If you can't get the uniform part, I, I got bad news for you. It's gonna, the rest of life's going to be even tougher to come to work on time and in your uniform. But I saw a lot of individuals, for whatever reason, just decide. I know that's a rule, but I'm going to take some shortcuts because I'm smarter. Or I'm not going to do it because I just don't feel like doing it. Whatever it might be. In the church, I'm trying to figure out where the disconnect is with the church today in America. And I can tell you right now, there is a knowledge problem. In fact, statistically, they say that Christians that go call Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior would say that 56% say there's more than one way to heaven. How could you understand God's word and believe that there's more than one way to heaven? Well, because we'd be kind of narrow-minded. They kind of bought into the universalism. All the gods are the same. We'll all get to heaven someday. That's not the truth. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And a lot of people would say, well, that's kind of narrow-minded. Well, truth is narrow-minded. You know what? The gravity of truth, the truth of gravity. If I were to jump up and jump down this stage right now, you know what? I'm not going to fly up. I'm going to go down. And plus, I'd probably shake the whole building if I did that. Two plus two, what is it equal? It doesn't equal eight or six or whatever you feel like. It equals four. Truth is narrow. All truth is narrow. Every single truth, scientific truth, everything is narrow. There's an exact answer for exact questions. If they haven't found the answer, they can keep looking to it until they find that narrow truth. The truth is that Jesus Christ saves. Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. So the knowledge is part of it, but I also wonder if part of the reason that the church is in the condition it is today is because of attitude. I just don't have the time. Not that it's mean-spirited or negative or kind of wanting to be hateful about it. I just don't have time. I know I should do that. I know I should do this. I know I should, but I just don't get to it. I'm too busy. God has an incredible plan for life. You have an untapped realm of ability. You have untapped realms of giftedness. You have untapped realms of potential that are all just waiting for God's touch of power. You know, is there something in particular that you're waiting for? Do you ever really ponder that? I'm hoping you ponder it today. Am I living out my potential right now in my life in every way? Am I living out the things that God had me be about in my life in every way? It's time for every one of us to let our potential collide with God's power. The Apostle Paul gave his life serving Christ because his potential, his real potential, the potential he wasn't living, collided with God's power on that Damascus road. He came face to face with Jesus Christ. You can't serve God without sacrificing. If you're not in a position of sacrificing today, more than likely not serving. It takes time to serve. Even if it had nothing to do with Christ, but you want to make a cake for your neighbor because they've been sick, it takes time out of your schedule to make that cake. It takes time to walk across the road. It takes time to sit down with your, your neighbor and give it to them and encourage them. A tough question for you and I this morning might be, though, do you see the work of the church worth sacrificing for? Do you see the work of the church worth sacrificing for? Is that something that I'd be willing to sacrifice my time? Actually, you know, and, and God's no more interested in leftovers than you and I are. He wants the best. A lot of times we find ourselves in a position to serve the church and I'm going to get my leftovers. I, I don't have time to do this, but, you know, I can squeeze it in here or there. God wants our best and our first. Does it mean that I stop everything else and just do church? No. 
it means that I give time to the church and the ministries there, but also I take church to work with me. I take church to my neighborhood banquets together, the neighborhood ball games together. Let me share one of the saddest stories in the Bible, I think, that's uh, kind of it's hidden away in Jeremiah 46. A story about a pharaoh by the name of uh, Hophra. It's found in Jeremiah 46, 17, like I said. He was a political religious leader of one of the most advanced civilizations that's ever been to that point in time, Egypt. He was the pharaoh of Egypt. He had so much potential, so much power. He was actually the pharaoh for 19 years. He had history for the making in his hands with all this power and all this religious power there. This nation. The Bible says this in Jeremiah 46. It says, They cried there, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, is but a noise. He has passed by his appointed time. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, is but a noise. He has passed by his appointed time. What does that say? Who was he? All it was was a little blip on the radar. It was nothing, 19 years. He missed his calling. He missed his time. He missed his appointed place there in that place. He could have made a potentially huge difference in the world, but he missed it. The, Jeremiah is writing about this guy that missed life. There's a lot of people in America today that have very prestigious high positions. I mean, all the way up to the tops of government. But they miss it. They miss their time. Why? Because they're not living God's potential. They're living their own. They're living their own agenda. They're not allowing the power of God to come into them and let them realize the purpose you're here right now is for far greater than you think. But I don't want to worry about the big guys. How about us little guys? Am I living my life for God's glory? Am I taking every possible opportunity to use God in my life and to be part of God's ministry in my life? Nobody knows your God-given potential more than God. He gave it to you. He gave you a potential. How do I tap into that? How do I tap into that? God gave us that potential. Our gift to God, listen very carefully, our gift back to God is to realize that potential and live it, to come to understand it, to slow life down long enough to come to live it. In 1993, when I was losing that big corporation I owned at one time, I kept telling my wife, man, if I could just stop for a few minutes and catch my breath and clear my head, I might be able to figure this out. It was profound. I don't know that I could have saved it because God had another plan. But I kept saying, I couldn't stop. I wasn't sleeping. Every, first thing every morning, I was trying to beat the money to the bank, figure out where I needed to shift it. I had four or five different accounts at different restaurants, shift money around to make sure I'd cover the bills from this restaurant, what it was. I mean, it was all day trying to keep this thing that was ultimately going to sink afloat. Finally closed it down. It was a big sigh of relief. It still took me another month or two to kind of work through all that closing out. It was just as hard to close it, probably harder than it was to open the thing up. But I kept saying, if only I could stop for a second. Listen very carefully. You can't stop. Maybe you're in a life right now and it's going 2,000 miles an hour. You just need to say, I need to call time out from then. I want to get my precious bride and let's sit down. And let's just spend a couple of days. Let's ponder life. Let's really figure out where we're at because, you know, we got some more years, hopefully, God willing. But we don't have a whole lot of time. So I want to make sure the next few years just count for his glory first and foremost. But I want to take advantage of these next years. I want to take that time and figure this out. We can keep going and keep going and keep going and finally get to the end of our road and realize, I wish I'd stopped a few years back and we kind of figured out and done a few things different in our life. Making the most of our life is a gift back to God. Question for you and I this morning is, what's staying in the way? The second calling is to proclaim the gospel. Let me ask you this morning, how many ministers do we have here in this church? 
you guys are probably counting up. You're probably thinking about all different ministers here. And the answer would be five, maybe the way you're thinking. But I want to tell you the answer, how many ministers we have in this church is about 1,200. There's about 400, 500 that are pretty regular every week. It's the ministry of the people, not the impact of the pastors, that's going to measure the impact of this church. It's the people. It's not us. The scripture is very clear in my responsibility. You know what my responsibility is? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. My job is to equip you that you can go out and do the work. I think probably part of my background, I'm not going to lead, I'm not going to let you do that without me leading the way. I'm not going to ask you to do something I wouldn't be willing to do myself or haven't done myself. Go share the gospel. I do that. Reach out and serve in some of the ministry in this church. I do that. So I'm going to challenge you to come to understand in your life that because you are the church, it's not this building. We're blessed to have this nice building. The church is you all. You all are the ones that are going to make the impact for this church because you're going to see people that I'm never going to see. You're going to have experience with people I'm never going to experience. You're going to have an opportunity to rub shoulders with people in spheres of this community and this county and this state that I'm never going to meet. And you have an, an incredible opportunity to share the gospel with them, to see them. I want you to realize that the church is never going to score that winning touchdown if we're all sitting on the bench, okay? You know that. It's going to take every one of us to get out. Let me share a little sad thought. I don't want to do this to make anybody feel bad. Uh, I imagine after I share this thought, you'll all probably take your bulletin with you today. But... Uh, Monday after Palm Sunday, I left my little bulletin up front here. I like to keep the bulletin with all the things in it, and I put it in my file that I filed the sermon away in. So if I want to refer back to that sermon, I can see what week it was, and I can see what's going on. And uh, Sometimes I use some of the sermons for other things or thoughts I might want to get on something I'm teaching. But I left it up front on Palm Sunday, and I realized that Mike Cook, God bless him, got a phenomenal custodian here. Had already gone through sanctuary. He does that first thing on Monday morning. So if anybody wants to come in here and pray or sit here, it's sanctuary is put back in order. And uh, so I know he throws the extra bulletins. And I've seen him in here before. So I went to the trash can there in the hallway and looked in there. That was the bulletin. We had that little um, devotion for you. There's eight days before Christ. There was a card in there for you to possibly invite somebody to come to church with. There was about four or five others. It was a, full, it was a packed, uh, packed bulletin that week. Uh, all kinds of different things about different ministries here. And I looked in the trash can, and there was probably 40 or 50 bulletins in there, still fully packed with everything. You know, a little thought came across me, and um, kind of broke my heart a little bit, thinking that uh, why wouldn't you at least take this home and look to see what's going on at church? Take it home and think about, you know, maybe some possibilities for me to get involved, or me to serve, or do this devotion, or take that card, like the pastor asked, and invite somebody to church. You know, I'm a realist and I understand that, and I, I know that. But it just—I'd you know, seen the bulletins before. I'd seen them throwing them out, and I knew that you know sometimes you get two or three bulletins per family, and you don't need that many. He took them back, but uh, it, it made me think: where's the disconnect here? And realizing that I come to church, but also church needs to happen every day. I need to be worshiping God every day. If your greatest experience in worship is here on Sunday mornings, you're missing God. I'm glad you come here. I'm very thankful for that, and it's a great time. It fills me up. But it's a great opportunity to share. So we need to make sure that we're serving sacrificially. We need to proclaim the gospel. Then verse 28 says this, For him we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Nobody's going to ever be perfect. What it's saying here, if you look up the word perfect, it means complete. 
then I want people that come to church and grow up in the church and study God's Word to really feel like they're complete. They don't, they're not perfect. They don't know everything, but they're complete. And they understand their faith to a point, listen, where they begin living for the glory of God. You know, how can we truly help other people grow? Obviously, pouring ourselves into their lives. But it comes when we begin saturating ourselves with God's Holy Word. We read it. We study it. We memorize it. We quote it. We live it out. And um, I want you to think about this, maybe a new paradigm for you. I don't know if you pray on the way to church. I hope you do. Pray that God shows up. Pray that you're used of him to make a difference in somebody else's life. That uh, Pray for the pastor, if you will. I, I appreciate that. But have you ever pondered this thought? Maybe on your way in here, pray about where you sit. God, put me in a very specific seat that I might be able to encourage somebody else. Pray that you have the right seat that God wants you in because during the service, maybe during the singing, you look at the lady sitting next to you. You've never seen her before. Maybe she's new to church. She's crying. And during that music, you can go over and put your arm around her and say, God loves you. And I don't know you, but I do too. Maybe just that one touch from a human being. Maybe you don't know what she's going through or him. Maybe there's a brand new family there, and you happen to have the blessing. You sit beside them, and when we get time to shake hands, you go over and shake hands and just really make them feel welcome here. But think about praying where you sit. And I know a lot of people are creatures that haven't, so that's good. But God, I'm going to sit in my normal place today, but God, put somebody near me that needs a touch from you, that I might be able to be used from you. I want you to realize how important it is to helping people grow. I want you to realize the purpose for church. The purpose for church here is to gather together, listen to this, and be encouraged. Coming to the church is supposed to be an encouraging experience. It's supposed to be a time when we come in here, man, I'm excited about life. Uh, let me tell you an honest testimony. My best friends in the whole world, you know where they go? Here. My best friends in the world. Here in church, i got other friends outside there, and they're great friends too. They're pastors and things. I know other people. I've been associated with another church, so I see those people all the time too. But this needs to be a place where you come and get encouraged, but also where you come and encourage other people. Take time to talk to people and meet them in the hallways. This church has long been known as a very friendly place. I heard somebody tell me the other day and kind of broke my heart. I just didn't disagree with them. The church isn't as friendly as it used to be. And I said, whoa, that hurts. But you know what? We all live difficult lives. We may not be facing an incredibly hard situation, but, you know, it's hard to live in this world. It really is. It's a mean world out there. You can't watch TV without being bothered or upset because somebody out there, people doing offensive things to us, just driving our car down the highway. People are being rude in the malls and saying negative things. and So we live in a hard place. I need the encouragement. You need the encouragement that I can go to church and get encouraged. And it will barely last for a week till I get back next week. But I want to be encouraged. But I also want to give it away. I want to make sure I encourage other people in the church there. Come to church, fill the Holy Spirit, and let it flow out of you. Let God use you in a great way to fill other people up. The fourth calling, to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. God is calling you today. He's inviting you to... Jump into the deep end of the pool. He's inviting you to get into deeper water right now in your life. He's saying, hey, I got so much more for you. He's saying that to your pastor first, and I know he does. I'm amazed about how I've changed, how he's changed me and how I've learned over the years. But God, I know he has so much more for me. I thank God for that. Every day is a new adventure. God, what do you want me to teach me today? God, what do you want me to show me today? Your potential and purpose are waiting to come out of you. They really are. They're inside you there. I think many of you know I've had some difficult times with my youngest son. Just had a hard time, and he was getting associated with the wrong place. We sent him to Christian school, and God is doing a marvelous work down there. But I tell him all the time, Jonathan, there's a great man waiting to come out of you. 
I tell them, well, I don't want to see how badly you can screw yourself up between now and when the great man comes out of you. Listen very carefully. There's a great person waiting to come out of every one of us. I don't want you to miss that. I don't want you to miss your potential. I don't want you to miss your purpose. Why? Because you'll miss God. God wants to do so much more with all of us. Listen very carefully. I believe that God wants to change this world. You've heard me say it a couple times already today. You're going to hear me say it for the rest of my life. God wants to use this church to change the world. I believe that. Can he do that? You better believe it. Can he use some little old guy like me and a little old person like you? Absolutely. It's not you and it's not me. It's God's power in us. He wants to do something spectacular. It's time for a new normal in church. We can't do church the old way. Why? Because we're losing the battle in America. I'm here to tell you. You know that. We're losing the battle. It's time for a new normal with you and a new normal with me. I'm going to begin making God first in my life. I think everybody in this room would say, He's first in my life. Well, really? Is He really first in your life? Do you really understand your potential? Are you living your potential? Do you really understand your purpose? Are you sold out for Christ every moment of every day of every, every part of your life? Let me share two quick stories in conclusion here. Remember old blind Bartimaeus? Lived in Jer- Jericho. Jesus came through Jericho one day, heading for Jerusalem. And uh, Bartimaeus saw him and realized he was there. So he's, he's blind. He couldn't get to him, but he started crying out. He said this. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus. Some of the buddies around him, some of the disciples and apostles said, hey, calm down, buddy. Calm down. Calm down. He's busy, man. He can't come here. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Kept going. Didn't stop. They wanted him to stop. He wouldn't stop. Why? Because he knew there was transforming power in Jesus Christ. He knew that. So Jesus heard that. He said, hey, come here. Come here. So Bartimaeus dropped his wraps and walked over to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said this. He said, what do you want? What do you want? Why did Jesus do that? He wanted to see if Bartimaeus knew who he was. You know what Bartimaeus said? He said, I want my sight back. Who would you say that but to God? You know, nobody come up to me and say, Pastor, can you give me back my sight? I'm sorry, I would, I'd like to, but I can't. Jesus Christ asked him, what do you want? I want my sight back. Bartimaeus knew that there was power in this man, and he wanted that power. Why? Because he didn't like the potential he had in his life. He wanted a new potential. He wanted a new purpose, and he couldn't serve God really fully, being blind. So he said, give me back my sight. Jesus Christ put his hand on him. He says, your faith has made you whole. Heal them. Remember the lady that had the blood disease for 12 years? Heard that Jesus Christ was coming to her town and realized I need to touch him. She even said in the scriptures there, if only I could touch the hem of his garment. She didn't want to touch him. If I could just touch the hem of his garment, I believe his power would come through me and heal me. She tried everything for 12 years. You can only imagine. 12 years trying to get rid of this disease. Jesus comes to town. She realized there's the answer right there. I believe she would have crawled. She could have gotten beaten, but she still would have made it to Jesus Christ just to touch the hem of his garment. She did that. All these people around Jesus Christ, hundreds of people around him, touching him. Jesus Christ stops everything. He felt the power of the scripture says go out on him. But then he asked the questions, who just touched me? His apostles that were close to him said, Jesus, are you kidding me? There's millions of people touching you here. Everybody's touching you. He said, no, who touched me? She acknowledged I did. And Jesus Christ, your faith has made you whole. I want you to realize how God's power changed those two lives. One was blind, one was diseased. God changed them. God gave them a new purpose. God gave them a new potential because they're no longer limited by the ailments they had. God came down and did a marvelous work. Barnabas and the woman came face to face with the power of Jesus Christ and he changed their life. Listen, 
Many of you in this room I know are saved and you came face to face with that power and you got Jesus Christ living in you. But are you living on the power of Jesus Christ? When we talk about the abundant life, Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have more abundantly. Well, the life part is salvation. It's, it's a home in heaven. The abundant life is this life here. Jesus said, I've come that you can have a life full. The scripture tells us that our life can be complete in Jesus Christ. That we're not the, the same old man. The old man is dead. We're a brand new creation in Christ. That we're, no, we're living in newness of life. But what does that represent? We're never going to realize that until we see God's power in our lives personally. We need to be intentional, just like Bartimaeus and that woman with the blood disease were. They realized if I could only touch the hem of his garment, he could change me. If I could only ask Jesus Christ to heal me, he could heal me. They had new lives. They had new purpose. Bartimaeus and that woman knew that Jesus Christ could change everything. There's too many people that call themselves followers of Jesus Christ walking around in a defeated life today. They're not living in victory. They're not living in such a way as they're realizing God's power. They're not realizing that God has a purpose for my life and it's to bring glory to Him. Not, God has set me aside to change this world. I love this story about the French Foreign Legion that were meeting in a little couple of little cubbies there during World War II. They kind of hovered down and hunkered down and they were, you know, Germans were occupying their nation. They were at a meeting and the Americans had sent some reconnaissance troops in there to kind of figure out what they had and how, what they could count on these guys. And so as they encountered these little French warriors down in the basement of some hole with all the lights out. The Americans snuck in there and set up a meeting with them. They said, what are you guys doing? They said, we're plotting to overthrow Germany. And there was like six of them in the room. Really? That's the kind of attitude, though, that we can live with Christ. Hey, I'm plotting the overthrow of Satan's world. I'm plotting the overthrow of all the evil. I'm planning, I'm planning on knocking down the gates of hell. God wants us to be that kind of thoughtful person person that's empowered with him almighty last thought here and you've heard this before if you always do what you've always done you'll always be what you've always been you know that i believe god is calling each and every one of us in this room out to live in a greater way to come to know christ in a closer way but also to seek intentionally his power in my life that i might realize truly my potential in life and also his purposes